Welcome to the 10th episode of the 5571, a podcast dedicated to all things Disney parks, especially Disneyland. I'm David Vaughn, joined today by my co-host, Just Ask Danny. On today's show, we'll cover the 5571 news and discuss the age-old history of Disney and Universal's rivalry. Danny, can you believe we're at episode 10? I can't. And that's 10 full weeks, right, of us doing a podcast. And it's just been really fun. And I'm glad a lot of people are liking it. Yeah, totally. You know, it's funny when you say when we say 10 episodes, I go, I feel like it's been more. But when you say 10 weeks, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Like, (laughs) I don't know why I'm putting it in two different contexts, but there you have it. So thanks for everyone uh, for sticking with us. And if you're new here, please hit the subscribe button so we can keep sending you fresh future episodes. Um, But now we got to go on to the 5571 news before we head into our Main Street topic. Um, Here's what's going on at Disneyland. Lightsabers went up in price. This actually happened at Walt Disney World, too. So if you ever want to do the Savvy's Workshop uh, custom-built lightsabers in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, those originally started off at $200. Then they went up to $220. And now they're at $250 each. And uh, it's the same. As far as I know, it's the same lightsabers. So they did change out, I think, one of the hills. But still all the same kind of experience. Also, um, the Droid Depot... uh, increase its pricing uh, from $100 for the custom droids that you have the little remote control up to 120 Danny, have you built uh, a lightsaber at, D- at Savvy's? Um, I have, yeah. I did it really close to when um, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge first opened. It's an amazing experience. It's a great, you know, it's a great themed experience for one, um, and especially for a Star Wars fan. But $250 is kind of getting up there. I don't necessarily know that... Um, a lot of people can choose that anymore. That's kind of, especially for more than one child. Yeah. I think that if they had like the retractable blades, like the actual, like they somehow actually made a retractable blade that people could take home with them, then I would be like, okay, maybe I can understand like a bigger price bump. But um, if we're doing the same kind of blades, I don't know. I mean, they're, it, it, I agree with you. It's an amazing experience. It's something that I will never forget. It's one of the, my favorite things I've done at uh, Disney Park and I highly recommend it, but it's getting pricey. I mean, could you imagine if your whole family wanted to make, make lightsabers, you know, drop a grand? Yeah. It's... I mean, I don't know. It was $800 was <laughs> a lot anyway. So anyway, we'll, we may we'll talk about those in um, another episode. Um, I would love to do it again, actually. So we'll see. Anyway, um, looks like the Candy Cane Inn is also finally reopening near Disneyland. I actually called them today just to make sure. I was like, are you guys open? Because this is one of my favorite spots. Um, if you're not familiar, um, the Candy Cane Inn is, has been around for a while. I think over 50 years. And it is it is technically the closest to Disneyland. The closest hotel to Disneyland because it's literally right next to it. It's like its closest next door neighbor. It's right in back of where Radiator Springs Racers is. Um, but um, you still got to walk around. But the nice thing is, I mean, they have a shuttle, but there's really no point. It's like a four minute walk to Disneyland. So I I love staying there. Um, they have nice rooms and they just redid the whole thing. They're, re, they're like redoing everything. So um, I talked to the guy and he said, yeah, we're deciding if we can open January or sorry, December 1st. But they, he says they'll comfortably be open um, in January. So that'll be an exciting new addition for pe- uh, places to stay for people who want to be really close to Disneyland. Yes. Also, 
Frozen um, theming is getting added back uh, is getting added to Blizzard Beach Water Park at Walt Disney World. So the Tykes Peak area is going to have like a little Olaf and like the little snowman children thing. Um, so that's fun. I mean, I heard they were going to do Frozen stuff for uh, uh, Blizzard's Be- Blizzard Beach, but I- I'm glad it's going to open with this because I think um, it's funny to me because I'm like a water park is opening in November, and then I remember it's Florida, and uh, I've been there when it's hot in um in late fall or even the winter so um there's gonna be plenty of plenty of uh places for people to uh swim and stuff so i like blizzard beach a lot by the way if you haven't been does this um, it is a really cool the, water park the question for you though is does this mean the end of ice the gator or like their you know unofficial um, mascot or is it like is it more is it kind of like Leaning towards, hey, this is like a, an Olaf takeover, uh, or is Ice still going to be there to coincide and you know coexist with Olaf and uh, and the Snowgies? You know, it's kind of a funny thing, and maybe because these water parks don't get a ton of visitors, but um, I just I think they're going to keep the Gator, but it isn't really like it's kind of a thing that nobody talks about unless you're at the park, which I find fascinating for <laughs> for some reason because you know like. Almost everything Disney does, like Figment, who's on one little ride, people talk about him like he's their favorite thing of all time, and and for some people he is. So I find it funny. I don't I don't know any ice stands out there, but um, if there are, um, you know, DM us. I want to know. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I don't think he's going anywhere, but we'll see. I mean, they didn't. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, also at Universal Studios Florida. Scents were added back to the ET adventure. So if you're not familiar, there's kind of like, there was like a pine scent. I think there was also like a smoking burning kind of scent at one point. There's a few scents that they've had throughout the ride. I also read that they had new scents, but it was a little bit hard to follow along like what was new and what was just brought back. Um, you know, I only go on that ride when I go to Florida because we don't have it in California anymore. Sadly. I know. Everybody's so mad about that. But I remember, <laughs> it's so funny when people say that. They're like, bring back E.T. I'm like, you all never went on the ride when it was here. Let's be real. Like, some of us did. Some of us did. But a lot of people back then were complaining about that ride being all wore, worn down and old. And, and even when people, I bring people to Florida, I'm like, we get to go on E.T. They're like, this old thing? I still love it. E.T., you have a place in my heart. Never leave us. And I think this means that it won't. So they're never going to get rid of that, right? That's a classic. That's like getting rid of Peter Pan, <laughs> right? You just don't do right. it. Right. Yeah, it's like getting rid of their parts of the Caribbean. They're just not going to do it. True. I agree. And they shouldn't. Just keep making it better. That's all we ask. Um, and so lastly, I want to touch on something. This is lastly, but also firstly, because it really does tie into our Main Street topic. Um, I want to touch on something that I talked about last week. You know, Danny and I riff off of conversations and sometimes things just get said. And I said, I know it sounds like I said something bad, but I didn't. I I said um, that Universal beat out Disney for like one weekend. Um, that was not correct. Um, what I was referring to was something that I had recently read. And I don't even know where I threw that out. But I want to correct it because I was listening to the episode and I was like, oh, this doesn't sound quite Right. So um, let's get into it. So basically, this is what happened. Um, The theme park, the theme, the themed entertainment association um, uh, released its annual um, estimates of theme park attendance. So for 2021, 
Magic Kingdom, they estimated, came on top with 12.6 million guests, which is actually significantly lower than their 2019 guests. I mean, you're talking almost half. But it, but that doesn't really matter at this point because um, what's crazy is that the numbers um, for Universal's Islands of Adventure and Universal Studios Florida would have brought these two theme parks in second and third place. So this is what's nuts. They're estimating that each of those theme parks received just around 9 million guests with Islands of Adventure doing a little bit better. But um, so 9 million guests each. Um, and so that would mean that more people visited those parks that year than Disneyland, which makes sense because that park was closed for a number of months. But then also more park guests than Disney's Animal Kingdom, Epcot, and Disney's Hollywood Studios. So that's pretty that's pretty nuts to me to think that Universal would have beat them out. But um, you know, there's a lot to unpack in this situation. Um, and I'll give you those numbers really quick. Disney's Animal Kingdom was estimated by 7.1 million, Epcot 7.7 million, and Disney's Hollywood Studios at 8.5 million. In case you're wondering how much of a difference. So. Um, it's, just, yeah, no, it's it's insane. But like I said, it does lead us into this sort of um, rivalry that Disney and Universal have had um, since the late 80s, early 90s. And I think it's, you know, out here, there's almost no competition because Universal is such a small park. But when you go to Florida, there is, there, Universal has been upping its game every single year for, for a decade since it began. And it's at that point now where we're seeing estimated numbers <laughs> hit above Walt Disney World. So, um, Danny, why don't you take us into this? Because I know you got stuff to say about this. And I am just like, there. you know, there's a lot to be said about um, TAT and um, their process. And I think that our listeners who maybe aren't familiar might want to know, like, what's going on? Like, And, and also, if you're like... I, why would I want to know about this rivalry? If you're a Disney Parks fan or Universal Parks fan or both, there is there is so much to be said about why certain attractions showed up when they did, possibly, potentially, allegedly, supposedly, because of what one park did and what another one didn't do. So anyway, Danny, take us in. Yeah, yeah, no, and I agree. The... um the the rivalry you know is is gonna heat up for sure because NBC Universal right is Comcast they've got the backing of a major media corporation just like Disney and um, and you know they've realized over the years like David mentioned that this is a lucrative market and you, Florida is a worldwide destination for just about everyone uh, not just within the United States and um, and they really want to take over that piece of the pie. So, but yes, yeah, so we read numbers um, from, you know, that were kind of in associated with TEA and AECOM. And uh, a lot of people don't know what TEA is. Um, so we'll talk about the history of that real quick. It was started in 1991 um, by Monty Lund, who previously worked for um, Disney as a special effects designer. Annually, they give out awards worldwide for excellence in the industry. Uh, today is a nonprofit organization that is overall highly respected within the industry. And let me tell you, um, when Disney receives these awards, they 
are very proud of them. They post, uh, you know, about it on their news website. They share it with media. They're very, very proud of the awards they get. More, more recently, the Stuntronic from Avengers Campus received an award. We also had a Magic Happens Parade receive an award from TEA. And Disney is very proud to share it. So, you know, they they acknowledge this organization and, um, and validate it when it does provide them awards. So there is, you know, probably some you know, truth behind these numbers, they are all estimates. And that's listed as such in the actual report itself. Um, So it's not someone kind of trying to slander Disney in any way. They're trying to be a nonprofit organization that's a little non-biased. So just kind of giving that out there before we move forward on that. Um, And there are some criticisms about how they get their data, right? After all, no one shares their numbers publicly, and at least Disney doesn't. Uh, You know, they're not going to tell people, you know, how much people enter Disneyland every year, just like, you know, there was a point where like Apple, for instance, used to share how many iPhones they sold every year, you know, when Steve Jobs was still alive. And then at some point they decided, you know, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to keep that just to ourselves. So now when people estimate like how many things Apple or, you know, has sold and um, or how much Samsung has sold, they kind of have to estimate because they don't share those numbers either. So a lot of companies, you know, because they are, uh, you know, trying to make value for their shareholders, want to keep it close to the chest so it doesn't affect any of their numbers. But regardless of that, we think it's important to highlight the estimates that T- TEA puts out. Um, as they kind of fall within what we'd expect, right? Disney now has a reservation system and almost all of the theme parks do not have that. So Disney may not even want to have the most visitors, especially when it's changing more, you know, more revenue per visitor, per guest rather. You know, they've talked a lot about that. Bob Chapek's talked a lot about that in um, his, you know, rep, his meetings or his ratings, earnings calls and all that kind of stuff. He's talked about how, you know, they're focused on increasing the revenue per guest per visit and also guest satisfaction. And they feel like this new formula that they have is doing that. Um, but, um, th- oh, yeah. Did you watch that? Sorry, not to cut you off. Yeah. But did you watch that interview with Bob Chapek in uh, Wall Street Journal and talk about guest experience? Because, uh, yes, I did. <laughs> I think that just came out and, like, yeah. And it was like basically, he was saying that, he, that, you know, Disney doesn't want the parks overcrowded, which they've been saying since the reservation system came in. Um, and that they they said, this is what I find found really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. They said that Disney doesn't really control demand, that they don't have control over how much demand they have, which I find so, that's just sounds strange. I don't know why that sounds strange, but I guess if you just know a ton of people want to go to your park, then that's just the case, right? I mean, Tokyo Disney, um, Disneyland has been that way for a long time. So it's kind of like that, how it is here now. And so they're saying they don't really have control over demand. So they have kind of one or two choices um, yeah. that they either... Yeah, that they either just let everybody and their mom in or I'm so paraphrasing you, Bob, sorry. <laughs> let everybody and their mom in or they, um, you know, they put up a reservation system. So whether or not we like it and it is and we talked about this before. People say they either like they, you know, they, they say they either like the reservation system because they feel like it keeps crowds lower than they would have been on those dates. And that's an important thing to say because people go, it's still busy. And I'm like, 
if you remember what it was like in 2019, before anybody knew that there was going to be COVID, it was insanely busy on some days. And the fact that we all know that there were several um, holiday weekends uh, uh, year after year, uh, and especially during the Christmas, between Christmas and New Year. Right. That it, they would sell out. And we've talked about that before. Like sell out shoulder to shoulder, insane lines, terror. So whether or not people love the reservation system, Disney's here saying it's fine. And then they're also knowing, like, you know, we're going to put this in. But they're also doing this knowing that it could affect their overall numbers and where they match up. Will we get to a point where Magic Kingdom is no longer the most visited park? You know? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I agree. And and I think um, when it comes to like the him saying that Disney doesn't really control demand, I just don't really feel like that's true. I feel like yeah. I feel like, you know, uh, there's a there's an aspect to that and there isn't an aspect to that. Because like, although people think it's more like people will tell you, oh, well, David, it's still crowded. Um, and you and you remind them about 2019 numbers. I think what what was happening was is maybe Disney says they don't control demand, but what they're doing now is they're spreading out demand. And so, whereas, like you mentioned in a previous episode, I don't know if it was the one before or the one before that, how you talked about how January and February just like aren't really good times to go anymore, whereas they used to be, and how like February, or I think you mentioned that like on a TikTok or something, how February. Yeah, I did. Yeah, like how February's uh, prices now are like super high and like the and the reason for that is is because demand is is they're trying to spread out demand so they don't they're trying to kind of like tell people when to go based on the cheaper prices so they expect those days to be more crowded versus the other days or maybe they have data showing the more expensive days will be more crowded so that's what they're they're charging more money on those days so i feel like they're definitely not maybe not creating the demand for the theme parks um what they kind of are with like new attractions and things but at the same time, they're just spreading it out in a way, whereas you could have gone in January and February and been like, man, this is like so not crowded. Like this is uh, the best time to go. But like now that's not really the case anymore. So I guess there's something to that. But at the same time, it's like it it feels like they are. But Well, and that's another thing, too. Like we remember when we had like the three pricing tiers before and Disney kind of had Disney World kind of had the same thing. I can't remember what their pricing tiers were before they went to date based, but um basically the idea is that it's going to be it could be like you know 75 bucks or you know 70 bucks more for a ticket on a day that most people want to go versus a day that people don't so when you're taking your family and you're looking at prices in february and you're looking at prices in december and you're like my kids are off for a winter break this is how it was before now everything's expensive but like you can go i can pay you know, we can pay less per ticket, probably less people are going to be there. And then on top of that, um, the hotels are cheaper. Right. Like, and yes, and, you know, and the weather's going to be relatively the same here in Florida. We don't know what if it's going to be hot or cold on Christmas and they don't either. So I, you know, for what for for, for what Southern California and Florida get as cold, quote yeah. unquote. But um, but I will say like, so I don't know, I think like, that's that to me is always crazy because I remember thinking back, like kind of being resentful that, you know, when I went that um, Magic Kingdom would always get more visitors in Disneyland. But then I thought, but I'm thinking about that. I'm like, that's I don't want that at all. I don't want, I don't want to think I don't want my park to be, you know, my closest theme park to be way more crowded 
than another one. And they're relative. I mean, now I don't even know. I feel like Disneyland, um, people say Magic Kingdom's still bigger, but aren't they like the same size now because of Galaxy's Edge? I mean, I don't know what these sizes are. I thought they were both around like 100. Um, uh, what, what am I trying to say? 100 acres, acres each. Yeah, so, um, but I don't know. I don't even, I have to look and see. I, I have, um, I actually have that. We should, I should talk about that one episode, like <laughs> what sizes each. Right. I actually have the actual numbers because Disney published it like a year ago or something like that. And the I was only, like, they put the numbers in here? <laughs> yeah. The only one I always throw out is that, um, is that Epcot is over 500 acres and the entirety of the Disneyland Resort is over 500 acres. So all of Disneyland Resort can fit inside Epcot. Yeah. That's the one I always throw out. And then Animal Kingdom's over 600, but majority of that's animal, you know, space. So it's not necessarily spaces that you're walking around inside of. But um, so let's get a little bit more about the rivalry. David talked about the rivalry, right? You know, that's the whole main tree topic here. We're talking about Universal, um, Universal Studios, Florida specifically, and, you know, Hollywood for that matter, too, um, versus kind of like Disney. So um, back when Universal wanted to build um, in Florida for their next resort, Disney, you know, dropped at that time reportedly around half a billion dollars to construct uh, Disney's MGM Studios at the time, which is now Disney's Hollywood Studios. And they also created a tram tour, very similar to the one they had over in Hollywood um, at Universal Studios there. And um, they borrow and Universal stated that Disney borrowed from them, but not to their <laughs> liking. There were plans made back in 1981 for this type of tour and Disney wanted it for their new park space. And this was actually sorted from an source from an LA times article back in 1989. So 80, 81. Oh, 81. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Sorry. 89. Sorry. What am I talking about? I'm thinking, sorry. I was talking about the plans from 81 Yeah. when you were, and I, sorry, I wasn't trying to correct you on that, but yeah, that's crazy. This all happened. This all happened much longer ago than I feel like it did. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if that's true, David, like you should talk about that. You know, you had you were talking about this with me earlier about the karma in regards to that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was this was kind of the interesting thing, too. It's like we have a ping pong effect because if 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 uh, Universal, uh, you know, Disney borrowed from borrowed, quote unquote, from Universal on this bit, then Karma certainly played, and eventually, <laughs> way down the road, um, when uh, Disney decided to build Animal Kingdom, they had that original idea for Beastly Kingdom. So Beastly Kingdom looks so awesome. Basically, if you haven't heard about it before um, or need some refresher, it was divided in two sides. There was kind of like good and evil, let's just say. So you had like... Um, the light side would have like a unicorn with like a grotto is kind of like fantasy, you know, all this was fantasy creatures. Um, and then the other side was going to be like, you know, like a dragon and kind of like darker magic, that kind of stuff. And so there's gonna be like a dragon coaster and they weren't, I think there was like a ride vehicle concept where you were like bats flying around the dragon's cave kind of thing. So, um, and, and, and animal kingdom still has dragons on their concept art in fact if you walk into the park there's the three different stat there's kind of three different heads um they're sort of working as the pillar so you had like 
kind of past. So you have like a dinosaur head. I, I think it's a triceratops head. Is that what it is? And then there's an elephant head on another part near the ticket booths. And then there's a dragon head. So you kind of have like these three, but there's mm-hmm. no dragons. And there's even on the artwork, like you'll see a bunch of Yeah, the logo of, of the park. Yeah, silhouettes yeah. of animals walking and one of them's a dragon with wings and everything. And so maybe that means one day we're going to get this stuff or Disney's just like deciding. I don't know why they wouldn't. I'm sorry, Disney, like... We don't need a Moana land over there. Build build Beastly Kingdom. Like give us that. That's what we all want. But um but anyway, I digress. What happened was what happened was um Disney ended up uh so Disney ended up completing that um Animal Kingdom. They had their plans, but they put them on hold for Beastly Kingdom because it was just too expensive. And they never ended up doing it, but the pad was always there and the pad now occupy um is occupied by Pandora um world of avatar so that's not gonna be it's not gonna be over there anymore um if it is anywhere in the park but um what happened to those plans and where does the karma come into play well well if this is all true uh uh, supposedly a bunch of imagineers went from disney to uh universal to work on some new projects and they when they were constructing islands of adventure they brought up to the table like hey well here's some of the ideas we had working out for Disney, which included like the Unicorn Grotto, a dragon coaster. So they ended up building the Dueling Dragons coaster. And then they also, and this is all part of the Lost Continent at the time, which used to be like their big land at Islands of Adventure. Um, And then they also built like the Unicorn, it was like the Unicorn kind of coaster. Was it a Pegasus or Unicorn? I'm trying to remember what it was called. But now all that section is um is Harry Potter. There's still the Lost Continent, it's just a lot smaller, but that that all got transformed into the Wizarding World, Hogsmeade Village of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. So they took to, they took away the Dragon Coaster and they built Hagrid's um, um magical creatures motorbike adventure and then that um unicorn type of coaster that got converted into um the the um the flight of the hippogriff. So all of that um, did end up somewhere. And um, so if Universal was ever mad, they ended up having the probably the biggest hit of that entire park was that yeah. area. And it continues to be so. Um, that's just, I don't know. We'll see. I, I always say allegedly, we've all heard the story and it's probably true. But like, you know, when you can't see stuff in writing, it's a little bit hard to say, yes, this for sure happened. Um, yeah. But, but this is all like what this is all this is all the story. But regardless, it was a little too close. So I'm just going to say even somebody borrowed something from somebody a couple times. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and the Lost Continent specifically and just Islands of Adventure is one of the most beautiful theme parks ever. Um, and, and everyone who visits will say that. And, um, I could easily see, you know, this, this story that we've heard, we've all heard, um, having a lot of truth behind it. Um, you know, we know Imagineers did move to Universal, whether or not they were influenced by some of these projects is unconfirmed. Right. But it, it makes sense. You know, the dragon coaster, all that kind of stuff. Dueling dragons was awesome. They eventually absorbed that ride into wizarding world, um, as like the dragon challenge for like based off of Goblet of Fire. And then, like you mentioned, it became the Wizarding World's uh, Hagrid's roller coaster, which we know and love today. Well, uh, but question. of course... But I yeah. want to know, like, did Universal ever... Because, you know, we always see kind of these back and forths between, but, like, did Disney ever properly respond to the Wizarding World right away? Because, like, they kind of knew it was coming. So what did they do in like, how did they not, how did they drop, did they drop the ball and just not make anything new? Like 
what came out around the time the Wizarding World. I'm yeah, trying to remember. The, the the Wizarding World was a huge success, and it and Disney did notice, and um, it was a huge success with everyone, and they quickly responded with plans to revamp their Fantasyland in the Magic Kingdom. Um, the Fantasyland, um, you know, in their in their mind, needed some updating. It was a little bit dated. It still kind of had that old. Um, kind of tent vibe that Disneyland's used to have back in the day as well, too. Um, and so they really wanted to kind of, you know, they removed some attractions that people love um, and also expanded out into um, a whole new area behind the castle and created, you know, attractions that are very, very well liked today, like Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. You had um, these really immersive attractions like, uh, you know, belt storytelling with I don't know the exact, I think it's Enchanted Tales with Belle, um, which is like storytelling with Belle herself in like her hut. So um, her and her dad's house. And then, of course, Be Our Guest Restaurant, which is extremely immersive. Um, Then you have the Storybook Circus, which kind of played onto the Toontown Fair they used to have. So they definitely expanded a lot onto the back of the Magic Kingdom um, and expanded like beyond the gates of the castle. You know, Disney kind of really cleverly marketed it like, um, like it was always there, but, you know, they just kind of opened the gates to this new area, um, that people hadn't been to. And it, um, it seemed to be that this was their big push as a response, um, to the wizarding world. Cause it was around the same time, um, you know, and they really heavily marketed this, um, and it got a lot of attention, um, you know, especially like the BR guest restaurant and, oh, yeah. you know, even to this day, seven doors, mine trains, like still a massive success. So yeah, that ride is like, you, I feel like I always see that ride at like just stuck at seventy minute wait. Like everybody loves that ride. I mean, there's a capacity yeah, thing but too, I, but like yeah, for the most part. But we all kind of we all kind of know, right? We all kind of know, like moving forward, that like that truly kind of like wasn't what Disney wanted to respond with. They wanted to show that they could have something as immersive as the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. They wanted to have something that had you know these interactive elements like wands and you know different experiences that were very eerily similar to what you do in the wizarding world and i'll let david yeah, kind of go into what the, that i think was. i know where this is going because <laughs> you know i love to talk about star wars okay yeah so star wars galaxy's edge that's what i was saying you know here's the funny thing when you talk to imagineers about this and i and i have because i'm just clumsy like this and you bring up, and I brought up the fact that, um, you know, I was like, so this is kind, of, you know, this is kind of like Disney doing what the Wizarding World did, and they're and they always correct you. They're like, no, 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 we did Cars Land, and then this is our kind of new response to immersive, immer, uh, you know, an immersive land. This is this is we're we're doing another thing, but with a different um ip basically so um so yeah so disney internally will never really talk about how anything they're doing is a response to something else but i think we all know when you see the numbers rolling in and we see the fact that we have blue milk instead of butterbeer and the fact that we have right you know yeah there's there's it was pretty obvious that it was like you know you have the the whole experience of like building your yeah. lightsaber and like this whole like let the saber choose the the Jedi yep. kind of experience with Yoda in there. And it's like very similar to like Ollivander's wand mm-hmm. shop and like people buying something, although you don't use any interactivity with your, with your lightsaber. In fact, they don't want you to use your lightsaber when you're in galaxy's right. edge. They tell you to keep it away because you don't want to get caught. Um, but the, and then, you know, the heavily 
themed attractions. The like you mentioned, the blue milk and the green milk versus butterbeer. Like it's very much like in that same blueprint. It, is, it would seem to any outsider. It is an interesting difference though, because when you think about it, um, when Wizarding World opened over ten years ago, the whole thing was like you could go, you could be in your Wizarding robe, you could take pictures in front of the castle, you could run around. Like they let you dress up there and play. It doesn't matter if you're what age you are. Like they sell those things so that you could do it and disney is still strict about their no costume guidelines and they are still not letting people go to galaxy's edge unless you're, you know if you're um over 13 you can't go in there and dress up like your favorite jedi and and do pictures unless you go on like a star wars night type of thing but i, I always thought that was interesting because i just assumed when they were talking about this that we were all going to be running around in jedi robes and um and playing um star wars but uh they didn't they they didn't do that and people i think they do that a lot less now in the wizarding world they still Mm -hmm. dress up but i just don't see it like i did when it first launched but still there's even like the the you know they always say like the degrees of kevin bacon right yeah people being connected but there are some connecting degrees of wizarding world and also uh, Galaxy's Edge, and I'll let David talk about that too. <laughs> yeah, so when we talk about like how um, you know things were constructed, and like Imagineers switching sides, and all those things, like Scott Trowbridge, who was actually in charge of um, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, he designed um, Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey, um, that attraction for the Wizarding World. So. I think uh, that's really interesting in terms of just like seeing how we connect these two different things, even if we don't necessarily mean to. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like we, you know, there's a lot of different creative people and there's only going to be so many of them that can pull off these giant projects because they have that experience. And so the reason we see a level up with when it comes to Galaxy's Edge and so many of the immersive elements and like that ride system for a rise of the resistance is kind of is pretty much unparalleled at this point. Um just in terms of the whole overall, you know, what other ride is 16 minutes and has you on basically four different ride experience attraction experiences within one. So um yeah, I mean um Scott seems to know about how to how to bring some of these immersive um areas to life and um we will actually see if he gets a chance to do the the next iteration for Disney. I know he just worked on um, Frozen, or he's, uh, sorry, he just worked on the Galactic Star Cruiser, but now he's talking about maybe working on Frozen. So if we get some um, immersive Frozen lands at Disneyland, maybe they'll look a little different than they do other places. Um, but, yes. but, you know, that also I think brings me down to like, when we're talking about, them kind of going along in this rivalry because if you're thinking about Imagineers and um, Universal's creative team and like who's interchangeable amongst those two uh, those two groups and stuff like that we now are kind of going into the future a bit and we're seeing um, you know Super Nintendo World's going to open up in Universal Studios Hollywood and I don't know what do you do you think Toontown's a a um yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you there. I think that uh, Mickey's Toontown is definitely um, some sort of response, right? I mean, we have to think back about how we all found out about the, the revamp and reimagining of Mickey's Toontown, right? Um, it seemed really kind of last minute, and it was strange how we found out about it on just kind of like a little 
a little update on the blog. There was no sort of announcement on it or anything. Um, it seemed maybe a little rushed, you might say, a little brought forward. Like maybe they had always had plans to do this, but maybe weren't planning on doing it so quickly. And they needed something to kind of counter what was happening over at Universal um, in the, you know, the near future, it was kind of unclear, you know, all the, I feel like all the timelines really got shifted because if, if, you know, Nintendo, Super Nintendo World had opened when it wanted to, it, it would have opened, you know, around, uh, around or similarly to just after like, you know, Rise of the Resistance, Magic Happens and all these things that were happening, uh, at Disneyland. So it kind of would have seemed like it was Universal's response to that, um, rather than Disney having to respond to it. But now with Super Nintendo World coming, I, I feel like, you know, and the way that Toontown was announced, it definitely seems like this was some sort of response by Disney to have something to market and show off at the same time, especially with, you know, um, you know, people deciding to go come back to theme parks now, now that everything has opened. Um, and, you know, who knows what the original plans for the renovation of Toontown were. Um, but I think what they've showed us is excellent. And I'm excited to see kind of what we get. But maybe there was some sort of replacement for Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin that we weren't getting or aren't getting now. Um, maybe there's like additional, you know, people had talked about maybe a possible walkway from Mickey's Toontown into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge with some sort of themed like Smuggler's Alley leading into the land. Like, who knows? There's so many things maybe we could have got that we aren't going to get now that they're maybe bringing this forward to just coincide with um, an opening of a new attraction. Um, but like you said, it does seem like once someone makes a move, right, they're like someone else is making a move to counter it. So We've got Super Nintendo World, and I feel like just in general, like you mentioned, this is opening obviously at Universal Studios Hollywood, but we already know this is also opening yeah. um, in a much bigger way at Epic, at Epic Universe, which is um, the third theme park opening at Universal Studios Resort Orlando. And that's going to be really interesting. So, I'm wondering I think, how will Disney respond yeah. to that? Are they going to wait and see if, you know, epic universe does well and then kind of you know kind of how they did with galaxy's edge like bring out something a few years down the road after that open i'm old several years after down the road after that open but at this point i'm kind of thinking like don't do another theme park at disney world we've talked about this before i think four theme parks is kind of the max for a family vacation if anything, just add new rides or or a couple new lands to your existing theme parks i don't necessarily think people need to like go to an all new theme park. You know what I mean? I don't know. Unless they're going to just revamp Disney's Hollywood studios and just totally do a bunch of new stuff, rebrand that park, keep in some of the newer stuff and then just give us a whole other experience that could work. But. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like some of the things that they did show us at D23 Expo that were total blue sky, right? None of it was confirmed. None of it was even potentially coming. It's just a thought. Maybe the beyond, you know, beyond Big Thunder and the the things in happening in Animal Kingdom, both of the scale of those seem to be on that sort of like fantasy springs level that right. we're seeing over at Tokyo Disney, where it's kind of like an amalgam or collection of like mini lands that kind of come together. 
um, or like mini spaces kind of, it seems like that's Disney's new kind of golden formula that they kind of want to get away from these massive, like multi-billion dollar land expansions that are highly themed like Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and um, maybe put more money on the attraction itself and a little less on the land. Um, and it seemed like those, and really something like that could absolutely transform Disney's Animal Kingdom even more so than than uh, Pandora did, and um, almost make it feel like yeah. a theme, a new theme park, right? Um, and 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 with the Magic Kingdom, um, you know, being that there, you know, there is a lot to do with the Magic Kingdom, but at the same time, yeah. there's not, like in comparison to other things. So like them adding some really nice attractions like those. Um, beyond Big Thunder, where like they have you know some sort of attraction for Coco or some sort of attraction for like a villains themed land, like that's really maybe their answer in one way to what we're seeing maybe coming to Epic Universe with you know nothing confirmed there on what's actually inside, but reportedly we have an, a land inside there yeah. based on Universal Monsters, right? That's sort of like their villain, so this could be Disney's response to that. And that was immediately what I thought of when I saw it. So it's almost like Disney's always been responding back to it or Universal's responding to it, something. But I definitely feel like, and I don't know how you feel about this, David, but I feel like um, Disney really does need to worry when it comes to Epic Universe and specifically Super Nintendo World because the Nintendo franchise is something that is beloved by every generation, whether it's my parents or current kids nowadays or our generation or everyone in between. At some point, they all grew up with Nintendo. And what does that sound like? That's very similar to a Disney franchise, yeah. you know, a Disney movie. You know, we all grew up with Disney movies. We talked about that, you know, in the in the last episode talking about Disney 100 and how, you know, it's all been a part of like our whole lives. Well, Nintendo's pretty similar in that same sense. And the characters are beloved. The franchises are beloved. You own things like uh, Pokemon. You own things like Donkey Kong, um, you know, Super Mario, Zelda. Like the list goes on of things that are completely recognizable by every single person. And Disney doesn't know how this is going to play out. You know, we've seen it, a version of it, right? in action and open and Japan and it's very successful, but this is just, you know, their first foray into this. Like this is their first attraction. Like if it's wildly successful, you better believe Comcast universal, they're going to rapidly expand this any way they can. Even if that means taking out other things, because this is something that resonates if mm -hmm. it sells well in merchandise and whatnot. And I feel like it can, because it already does. And if they even touch oh, Pokemon, and that's, that's an, like that a whole is other another thing. thing. And that is a really curious thing that they haven't. I know Nintendo is really strange. I don't want to say strange, but they're really like protective of their um, of how they present some things because, we, as we know in the past, there have been some like Super Mario Brothers film was not it the original one, so the live action one. So I will say like, um, you know, I personally think, and you know, Disney knows their business model, but I personally think that. We need to make it so that Disney, it like, you know, if Disney's going to charge us an arm and a leg to go in there, they need to bring it. And like, that's going to be the difficult thing because I think Universal's still going to charge us an arm and a leg to go because it's expensive to go to Universal. But I think that it is. they're going to be bringing us experiences that exceed our expectations 
Whereas we are kind of getting in that realm with Disney where like we're just kind of getting what we expected. And I think it's a weird thing because I know Disney's listening to fans and what they're saying about what their vacation should look like and what they come to expect. And they kind of complain when certain things aren't the way that they expect them to be. But at the same time, like I think the new exciting fun, adventurous type of stuff is what gets people in there. So keep your Magic Kingdom the same and give us something new at a, at the other parks. That's what I think we really need. And I think that we need it on the scale that Epic Universe is promising. So we'll see if Epic Universe delivers. But um, Comcast has a lot of money and they're not afraid to spend it. And yeah. I just... This is going to be a, I agree with you. It's going to be a juggernaut. I am super excited for, um, for Epic Universe. I have been since they first whispered it. And, um, you know, I just, anytime there's going to be a new theme park, I'm down. And they nailed Islands of Adventure. I remember going for the first time and being like, this is incredible. This is, this is one of my favorite theme parks. And it still is. So let's Mm -hmm. just, we'll, you know, we're going to give, we're going to give Universal a chance, um, you know, hopefully J.K. Rowling doesn't destroy her franchise for everybody's enjoyment before then. So maybe there'll be a new, I mean, maybe she already has. But uh, I, you know, I think that, I, I mean, I think there's going to be a new Harry Potter stuff. It's hard. I know. I love Harry Potter. It's hard. There's so many people involved with that project. It's just like, ugh, I don't know. I'm digressing there. My point is, though, we'll see what comes out. We'll see what they do with it. We'll see how it all plays out. I'm sure that's what Disney's doing. And um, we'll only see if this... If this ends the rivalry, it won't. Or if it's going to spark a new version of it for the next decade, which I think is what's going to happen. Yeah, I feel like we're going to see a lot of things come down, um, specifically from Universal. Um, Even on the Hollywood side, right? We've seen a lot of of rumors, whether or not they're all rumors um, or or something true. Universal Studios Hollywood is definitely going to be doing something before the Los Angeles Olympics, right? We already know that area of where they are located. It's going to be like, you know, Olympic Central headquarters for like in 2028. So we're only, you know, about five, six years away from that. And and at this at this point, you know, they have a limited window of, of what to start doing and getting ready for those type of crowds that will be descending from all over the world, literally um, into Los Angeles. And you know, that also affects Disney, too, because if people are coming here for the Olympics, they're going to take advantage of that and not only go to Universal, but Disney as well, because it's still in the same state. So I feel like we'll see a lot coming from Disneyland uh, and Universal Studios Hollywood, probably more so in the future than I would say from from Walt Disney World. I feel like right now, all we really know is that Tron is coming and maybe and obviously we also know uh, a new addition to Disney's Polynesian Village. That's, is that coming, is so like, weird to me. And that's what that is what the weirdest thing to me about all of this is that literally we have nothing that we really know is happening outside of like, like after Moana opens in the Polynesian expansion and that's not an attraction, that's a hotel. But once the Moana water um, open journey of water opens, what happens we don't know. There's literally, we, we didn't hear anything at D23. Literally, we do not know. There is nothing new coming to Walt Disney World after basically, when's, when's Journey of Tron. Water opening? End, end of this year, end of next, or end of 2023? I think they're probably end all going to, I don't, I think they're all opening mid, like oh, spring I think I think we got a while for, for Journey of Water, but I don't know. 
I think it's a oh, little bit. So? I don't okay. remember. But uh, point is, regardless, after next year, we may not. We we have nothing in the pipeline. There's no construction beams anywhere. There's no crane. Yeah anywhere and um if you're somebody who complains about construction at disney parks please stop because we need new attractions (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's gonna be wild to see like like you know this is just only touching the surface of like that so-called rivalry but um you know once we kind of break it down that way you can kind of see how it's not necessarily outspoken but it's definitely you know understood right there's there is a little bit of a rivalry and, and definitely fans can pick up on it um and it was i had a fun discussion with talking about it i don't know but. yeah that was fun i like that <laughs> um yeah and uh we hope you liked it too but for our next week's episode we wanted to discuss uh, some more about disney parks obviously we're coming into the holiday season so we will be obviously having another update ep- episode coming out with the latest news and our next topic um but if you haven't already um, please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. Don't forget, you can listen to it on your smart home speakers. You can do it on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you want to listen. Um, and if you want to and feel so inclined to, uh, please leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're using um, about the podcast because we love those as well, too. I love reading through them. I have gone through them. Uh, more recently too to kind of see what feedback you guys give and of course if you'd like to reach out to us on social media you can do that um we have all of that listed in the show notes where you can reach david on on his tiktok um on his instagram you can reach me on youtube or instagram as well and you can also send us an email uh with any questions comments concerns whatever uh at podcast at the 5571.com Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yep. Have a good day, guys. Thanks for listening and we'll see you real soon.